Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. This series has really been just about what that title says, that love does not ultimately come from us. We are not the source of love. God is the source of love, and he showed just how serious he is in loving people more than even this world that he created by sending his son Jesus to be our Savior And as we've talked about his overflowing love, we've talked about how as his love, his joy, and today we're going to talk about his blessings, fill us up. Ultimately, they never just fill us up to the top. They fill us to overflowing so that we're overflowing and God's love, God's joy, and God's blessings actually end up passing through us on to others and also back up to God as we give thanks to him and glorify him. So that's, if you wanted to talk about the big idea of the overflow series is that God fills us up with his love in Jesus, his joy, and today his blessings. And as those things begin to overflow, now we're able to share love, joy, and blessings with with those around us and back up to God. And that's what Paul's talking about. The background, as I've mentioned several weeks now, is that Paul is writing to a congregation in southern Greece in a town called Corinth, and uh, this this church has been sort of Paul's problem child. And you, you can well imagine what he's thinking as he's anticipating within a few weeks, at max at a few months, he's going to go visit these people, that he's kind of taken a little bit of a deep breath. He's, he's kind of bracing himself because there have been a lot of problems in this congregation, a lot of sins that Paul has had to confront, and that's created a rough relationship. In fact, if you read through the entire book of 2 Corinthians 12, you even find Paul defending his ministry because it's clear that some of the Corinthians have been attacking Paul's apostleship, asking the question, is this guy for real? And so... It's gotten so bad that some of the Corinthians are actually saying, I don't, I don't know if we should be listening to this guy. And so Paul now, think about this, is trying to come back in the midst of all this conflict and say, hey, by the way, I also want to remind you that a year or so ago, you pledged to give a gift, uh, an offering for the people who are hurting in Jerusalem And now, on top of all the other sins and and things and the rough relationship, Paul has to talk to them about giving. And that's what we've been studying in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 is his conversation with them about this gift that is being put together uh, by the churches in northern Greece, the churches in Asia Minor, and and Corinth in southern Greece. Now, while all this is happening, while Paul is writing 2 Corinthians, he's actually staying with the good children. So if, if Corinth represents the problem child, Macedonia represents the good children because they've been extremely generous in, in their giving, very willing, very cheerful to give to this offering. Furthermore, if we read uh, other epistles of Paul, 
he often comes back and talks about these congregations in Macedonia, northern Greece, as, man, these people constantly have me on their heart. They're supporting me. Uh, When Paul's imprisoned in Rome, they send messengers to make sure that Paul is okay. And now Paul's writing to the, 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 the troubled child in Corinth and saying, guys, I need you to come up a little bit by the power of the Holy Spirit and match the joy and the love and the generosity. And I'm praying that God is going to fill you to overflowing as he has clearly filled the Macedonians to overflowing. And in this section that we're about to read now, Paul is, is going to uh, tell the Corinthians, look, God loves to bless you. Remember what we said? God is a giver. We said this in the first uh, message of this series. God's a giver, not a taker. He loves to give. He loves to bless. Uh, It's why he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to us for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls. Uh, He is a giver. And, And so Paul is coming back in this last section to say, Do we realize, do we really think enough about how much of a giver God is and how much we can find peace and joy and rest in his gifts and blessings to us and how when we do that, when we stay focused, when we don't let our our mind wander, but stay very single-minded on God's love for us, it's amazing what happens because we'll start to overflow as well with blessings and joy and love. So, here's the principle. Paul starts out with this principle, and then he kind of tells how it works. The principle is, verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So that's the principle, and now Paul's going to talk about how that works out uh, in the Corinthians' lives, in our lives. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we have generous hearts and generous hands. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing, there's that word, you can circle it, is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. See how it always ties back to the good news of Jesus Christ. They will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
Now, the relationship between Paul the Apostle and this congregation has gotten bad at times. It's, it's caused Paul to have to make extra journeys there to really try to iron out the sins that they've been committing, get them to repent of those sins, change their hearts, their minds, their lives. Uh, it's created this, this, uh, this division between Paul and them. And, and now Paul is coming to them and he has to deal with what some of these op, uh, uh, the, some of this opposition is saying about him. He, they're basically saying we should not be listening to this guy. He's 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 lost it. He's crazy. He's he's out of his mind. We need to listen to better teachers than the apostle Paul. And Paul readily acknowledges that he doesn't think the way the Corinthians think. That, that his mindset, his heart, is truly on a different wavelength. And, and it's all Paul says because of the impact that Jesus Christ had on him when, when he met him on that road to Damascus and, and, and told him, Paul, you're, you're persecuting me when you're persecuting Christians, and begins to teach Paul the, the full meaning of the, the gospel. In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about that. He says, for it's by grace you are saved, through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, so that no one can boast. Now, we've heard that passage, many of us, uh, some of us memorized it growing up. But you have to get how revolutionary it was for Paul to come to that conclusion. It's by grace you're saved through faith. Because he grew up, remember, as a Pharisee who was taught that it's not by grace that you're saved. You better sweat. You better work. You better climb that ladder back to God by your own holiness, by your own goodness. You better be a Pharisee of the Pharisees if you want God to love you, if you want to be in relationship to him. It's all about you being a good person. And now Paul is saying, Wow, I learned that all of that stuff is dead wrong. It's by grace I'm saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And now he's teaching this to the Corinthians. And remember, the Corinthians were also, while pagan, very hardworking people. They lived in a place that had a lot of commerce and trade. Uh, it, it was a place where the free market system was clicking on all cylinders, and people were busting it to make a great life for themselves in Corinth. And so I'm sure their parents, uh, Greek parents, had taught them, you know, life is about hard work. And Paul's coming with this revolutionary idea that, no, life, true life, is found in Jesus Christ, the one who said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's simply by resting in his promises, it's by God's undeserved love that we're saved. And Paul tells this to the Corinthians. He starts the very first words in this whole letter of 2 Corinthians are, are the words grace and peace to you. Grace, God's undeserved love, peace from resting in that love. May that be to you. Now pull out your crosswalk notes. As Paul de develops the letter, he keeps coming back to this thought of grace and all that Jesus has done uh, for him, for, for the Corinthians, for us today. And look what he says, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If we're out of our mind, as some say, and I think probably what Paul meant, as some of you Corinthians are saying, 
If we're out of our mind, it's, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. It's because we love you. For Christ's love, the love that we've experienced in Jesus Christ, compels us. It, it wells up from within to overflowing. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, Paul sort of allows their argument, doesn't he? He's really saying, you know what? I, I am a little out of my mind. I am, I'm a little weird. I'm a little crazy. I think differently. And the reason I think differently is because I understand that everything I am and everything I have comes from God. It's his gift. It's by his grace. It's because he loves me, not because I've done any fantastic job of loving him. One died for all. God gave. God's a giver, and he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And, and what does Paul say? The reason I think differently, the, the, the reason I feel differently, the reason I act differently to the point where people are going, he's nuts. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. The reason for all of that is Christ's love compels me, and I can't live the old way anymore. I just can't. It's changed me as I've gotten single-mindedly focused on the cross, on the resurrection, on the love in God's heart that caused him to sacrifice his son for me. And so this is Paul's point to the Corinthians. If we're out of our mind, we're out of our mind because Jesus clearly in his amazing love went out of his way all the way to the cross and through the cross to the empty tomb so that he could pay the price for our sins. He could suffer death so that we don't have to. Now on that idea which is all throughout. In fact, it's in these chapters, chapters 7 and 8. Remember, on the very first uh, Sunday of this series, we talked about this passage that, that uh, Paul said, look, even though he was rich, for your sakes, he became poor, talking about Jesus, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. When Jesus gave everything up to come down from heaven, to become a true human, to be tempted in every way like we are. He did that so that he could initiate a transfer, like a bank transfer, so that all his holiness and all his righteousness, all his blessings and power could be transferred from him who is rich to us who are poor, so that now we can say, man, especially spiritually speaking, we are the richest people on earth because of that transfer that Jesus made for us. Through his poverty, we become rich. And now Paul says, let's talk about how that changes us. If, if, if we're going to say, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, what does that mean, no longer live for ourselves? Paul says it starts with a mindset. It starts with a belief 
that just as God was amazingly generous to us in his love, it is best for us to be generous too. And that there are tremendous things that come out of being generous. Paul says we have to look at it the way a farmer would look at it. A farmer, and we have a few people from South Dakota here today, they introduced themselves to me. On the, I should have asked them to come up and tell us how it works. But if you hold back on the seed, what are you holding back on also? The harvest. And if you're generous with the seed, then you can be hopeful for a more generous harvest. Now, realize, farmers know this, it's not just a factor of that because it's ultimately always in God's hands, which is what Paul is saying, and we'll read more about that in a moment. But generally, the more you sow, the more you're going to reap. And that's what Paul says. That's true spiritually. That as we reconnect daily with Jesus' forgiveness and mercy and, and recognize his generosity and his love toward us, then we start to think, how can I be generous with my time? Because the way I spend my minutes, those are seeds. And every minute that I, that I invest in my life is like a seed. And how am I going to invest the minutes and the hours of my day so that they become seeds for God? Or, or the fact that God has generously blessed all of us with abilities and talents some of us in this room are just great idea people. We generate ideas every second. Some of us are, are great doers. We love just being hands-on with stuff. And, and you, you give us a project, and man, it's like that. That project gets done. Some of us are great organizers, and we love to, to help people get where they need to be on time and pull projects together and, and when we use those talents, we use our strengths, those become seeds that we plant in our field, spiritually for God. God has given each of us an amount of energy. And, and, and as we invest our energy throughout the day, you know how it is. You have to think about that, don't you? I mean, there are projects in your life that are important. And, and where most of us put those is in the morning because that's when you have the highest energy. You're rested. You've had your breakfast, hopefully. You're ready to go. And the things that we put at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, unless we're those people, you know who I'm talking about, right? Because I am one of those people, <laughs> the night owls. Those are generally the low-energy projects, right? Not for me because I'm a night owl. So that's when I start my high-energy projects. But, but we think about those things. We think about our energy. And finally, we, we have to think about the wealth that God has given us, the money and the stuff, and how are we going to invest those so that they become seeds and then God can bless us back with a, with a rich harvest. So here's our mindset, Paul says. Sow generously to reap generously. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And then Paul goes on to say this. This is a, a fantastic thought. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when you're thinking about your store of seed that you have to plant, and and what I mean about that is your time, your talents, your energy, and your money. You're thinking about the store of seed that God has richly blessed you with. The first thing you're thinking is, as Paul's thinking is, this is not mine. This is God's. It all belongs to him, and he's given it to me to be a steward of it. Now, a steward does not mean an owner. A steward is a manager. So God has given us all these things not to own, not to claim as our own, but to say, how can I manage them so that people are helped, people are loved. God has returned his fair share, and he's glorified through everything that I do. How can I manage these things? And what Paul says is, the first thing that you have to to think about is, what's your decision? What's your commitment? Each of you, each of you, should give what you've decided, circle that word decided, in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, which means it's not force, it's not pride out of you, there's no one with a gun to your head. For God loves a cheerful giver. So somebody might ask, well, pastor, tell me, what should I give for my offering? And what's Paul's answer? My answer back to you is going to be, well, what have you decided to give? Now, in the Old Testament, God was a little bit more explicit. He said, 10%, give a tithe. Here in the New Testament, it's all about, well, it always was, even in the Old Testament, about the heart. So God, God dropped the percentages in the New Testament, and he said, just decide. You set the percentage. But as you're, as you're deciding, don't forget to keep looking back up to the owner and realizing how richly he has blessed you. Blessed you by giving you his son, Jesus. Blessed you by giving you eternal life instead of eternal death. Blessed you by forgiving all your sins. Blessed you by giving you all the things that you have to use your time, your talents, your treasures, your energy. And as you stay focused on God as the source, then it becomes so much easier to realize he loves to give, so he'll, he'll keep filling me up. And so you make a decision. I thought it might be helpful in this conversation just to talk about um, how it goes around here at Crosswalk. And it's, it's really kind of interesting to, to look at the, the statistics. The, the average, if we factor in all the people who attend Crosswalk, this is not just members, it's members and attenders across the board. Every adult who regularly attends Crosswalk and, and their gift is about $23 a week and some change. Now, I was curious. I thought, now, are our leaders leading are the people that we designate, now many of you are leaders in, in, in many capacities, but I'm talking about now uh, the staff, the elders, and the directors. And so I asked Doug, our director of operations, to do an average. What, what's the average of the 20 or so uh, who, are, who are giving uh, as, as leaders? And, and that average is $32 per week. 
So the difference is uh, and our leaders are doing what we are calling them to do. They're leading. They're being generous. And, and I love seeing that. Uh, on, in, in general, uh, the average leader at Crosswalk is giving $1,700 a year. And the average person with the leaders factored in is giving $1,200 a year. And the average person with the leaders factored out is giving about $900 a year. Our leadership in the first six months of this year has contributed 31% of the operating funds that, that are here at Crosswalk. And I, I, I love to see that because that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, Corinthians, I want you to see that the Macedonians are leading the way. That they're being generous, as leaders ought to be. And you, Corinthians, I want you to be leaders too. I want you to be spiritually mature. I want God wants all of us to overflow with generosity. And so Paul uses the Macedonians as leaders to say, let's all, let's all work to get up to where we see the leaders going. Now, what's going to hinder that? Is that we all have competing voices in our heads, don't we? Yeah, leaders have those competing voices too. You have what the Bible calls your new man that loves to do what God loves you to do. Totally in tune with the spirit who lives in you. The new man says, let's go for it. Let's live the adventure. Let's do it. The old Adam says, mm, I'm worried. Am I safe? Will this really work? I, I know God says plant now and harvest later, but... Ah, it makes me nervous. Will I be okay? Probably some of you go to the, the airport and do a little bit of, of what I do. When you're going to the airport, you're constantly like patting your pocket. Is that boarding pass that I printed out in there, right? And you check about six times, right? That, that's because there's a part of every one of us that wants to feel safe. And when we start to try to be generous, what does that mean? That means we have to give stuff away. And when we start to give stuff away, the old Adam begins to whine. And you have to recognize that whining old Adam. Oh, I don't know. Are you really going to be safe if you give away that time? I don't know. Is it going to be okay if you, if you make an offering? Maybe you're not going to have enough to pay your bills. Oh, I, I don't know, man. I just, you know you don't have enough energy left to, to, to help your neighbor next door. Just leave him be. He'll, he'll find somebody in his family to help him. And you don't really know him that well anyway, do you? When you hear that whiny little voice, recognize the old Adam. And the old Adam is telling you what your new man would never tell you. Because your, your new man is telling you what God is telling you. Look how much we've been blessed. And let's overflow. Let's do it. Let's be generous people just the way Jesus has first been generous to us. And when, when you get there, that's where Paul was. That's where the Macedonians were getting as leaders. Their giving was not forced. It was free. And that's the way it is for us, too, when we put aside the whiny voice of the old Adam. 
So write that down. Our giving is not forced, but free. And here's what we believe. God is able to bless us abundantly. It's God. He owns everything. Why worry? Why listen to the whiny voice of the old Adam? Why not think the way Paul says? God is able to bless me abundantly. I don't need this constant checking for reassurance in my pocket. Do I really have everything I I need for this journey with Jesus? Because I know that God is able to bless me abundantly so that we underline these words, in all things, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You know, we get so focused on the outside, don't we? The Bible says, Man looks at the outward things, but God looks at the heart. And one of the outward things that I think we get so focused on, especially in our culture, is, is a person rich or is a person poor? And do you know that matters very little to God? One Bible scholar said, and I, I agree with him, there are really four kinds of people when it comes to money. There are two types that are rich and two types that are poor. There are faith-filled and faithful rich people. Faith-filled and faithful rich people. There are faithless and unfaithful rich people. Poor people, there are faith-filled and faithful poor people. And there are also faithless and unfaithful poor people. And you know what creates those differences? What word did I use a lot in those phrases? Faith, right? And and we see these people in the Bible. I bet you could name some faith-filled and faithful rich people. Think about Job. Read the first chapter of the book of Job, and it says this guy was amazingly wealthy, and he was a righteous man. He trusted God. Remember what Job said when it was all taken away from him? He said, The Lord gave, the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His heart was not resting on his stuff. Right? We we also see pretty well-to-do people that weren't faith-filled. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Who sold what they had and then took that amount and then got worried. They listened to the whiny voice. Right? And they held back some of the money, because I'm sure they were thinking, what are we going to do if we don't have enough? Likewise, you have faithful poor people. Remember the widow who gave all that she had, even though it was only two small copper coins, she gave all that she had. And you also have faithless poor people as well. And you can See them all the way. They're mentioned all over the book of Proverbs. I I did a little study of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs talks about the sluggard who won't work. They just won't hold a job. There are some who, who get money and then they fritter it away. Proverbs says these people, they don't know how to, to hold on to money. They gamble it away. It just seems to go like sand through their hands. They chase fantasies, get rich quick schemes. They want to somehow get to retirement 30 years before the rest of us. There are faithless and unfaithful 
poor people. And so we have to be careful that we understand that really it's not about rich or poor. And you know, during an election year, let me tell you this, we're going to hear that it is about being rich or poor. You're going to be reminded again and again and again it's about being rich or being poor. It's not about being rich or being poor. It's about faith and how you've richly been blessed. And whether you're rich or whether you're poor, what God looks at is your heart. And so here's here's what I want you to write down. Our giving does not come from fear, but from faith. Our giving doesn't come from fear, it comes from faith. So as a faith-filled person, rich or poor, we say, let's live the adventure. Let's, Let's be abundantly generous and give stuff away and see what God does. That's the adventure. Let's see what God will do because I believe that where God guides, God provides. Do you believe that? Where God guides me, God is going to richly and abundantly provide for me. I believe, and I think you do too, that where God leads, he meets our needs. And that's what we have to believe. And when we are filled with that faith, when we see all that Jesus has done for us, our giving doesn't come from fear. It comes from faith. Now, Paul goes on in verse 10, and it's in your crosswalk notes. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Will you underline harvest of your righteousness? You've heard these promises that when we're generous, when we sow plentifully, God's going to bless us abundantly, right? And I'm going to tell you right now that some preachers and some believers abuse this because what they tell you is that you are going to get back more of whatever it is you invested. If you invest your time, God is going to suddenly, all of a sudden, make your schedule very, very easy because you've invested your time, you've been faithful. If you've invested your talents, well, your talents are just going to grow and you're going to add more and more talent to your little stable of abilities and gifts. God's going to do that. If you give money, God is going to make you a rich person. That's called the prosperity gospel. And here at Crosswalk, we do not teach the prosperity gospel because we do not believe the prosperity gospel is a biblical theology. Because it's not. What is the harvest of? What does Paul say? It's a harvest, not of more time, not of more talents and abilities, not of more money. It's a harvest of righteousness. And it's so important for us to understand that, that when we give of ourselves, God is going to bless us. Does that never mean God won't help us with our overburdened schedules? No, he may do that. Does it never mean that God isn't going to help you get a new gift that you didn't have before? He may do that. Does it never mean that God is going to treat you like he did Job and Abraham and make you a very wealthy person on this world? He may do that. But catch the key word. 
may. It's his choice. It's his decision. And his promise is not to increase those things. His promise to you and me is to increase the store of your righteousness. And what that means is he's going to grant you, as you live this faith-filled and faithful life, he's going to grant you even more faith. He's going to grant you a closer walk with Jesus. He's going to continue to grant you, as he has already, the forgiveness of sins, the joy and power of leading a new life and eternal life, not because of what you're doing. These aren't rewards for what we're doing. They're rewards for what Jesus Christ has already done for us. And now God says, as you live out that generous life in response, you can expect that the store of your righteousness will increase. And that also includes things like this. As we're more generous, more of our neighbors get helped. As we're more generous, the gospel goes further to the very corners of the world because now Christ's righteousness can be preached there. New churches can be planted. More growth groups sprout up all because God is increasing the store of our righteousness. And that's, that's the key thing that we have to, to get here is our giving is going to bless us in so many unexpected ways. We can't even envision or imagine all the ways that God wants to increase the store of our righteousness and bless us. We write that down. Our giving will enrich us in unexpected ways and ways that we're going to look at and go, this is so much better than what I would have hoped for. God's plan for me is amazing. And now Paul makes two final points. Here, here's really the end game. He says, all of this is that God is going to bless you back as you're a generous person, an overflowing with generosity person, faith-filled and faithful. But here's the real end game. The real goal is that God be glorified. And that's what Paul says. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Others will praise God. Do you see it there? When we're obedient because we have a confession of the gospel of Christ, because we know the good news of what Jesus has done for us, when we're obedient, our generosity is going to result in God's name being lifted high and worshipped. What a great God they have that they would do this. I want to find out more about that God. I want to find out what has caused them to be so overflowing with love and joy and, and giving their blessings on to others. Where is this love really coming from? Who is that God? And then Paul says, and in their prayers, our giving will result in God being glorified. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Their hearts will go out to you. See, not only will God be glorified, the other part of the end game is that our giving will win hearts because of God's grace. 
Do we see that happening in today's world? Paul was saying, this is what's going to happen. And in fact, you may, you may be interested to know the end of the story. Does this offering ever get collected in Corinth? Does it ever get delivered to Jerusalem? Romans chapter 15 tells us that it does. Romans uh, chapter 15, Paul writes to them and says, here's what, here's what I'm doing. I'm, I've got this offering and I'm taking it to Jerusalem. It's all been collected. The generosity of God overflowing through the hearts of the Macedonians and the Corinthians does make its way back to Jerusalem. And I see the same thing happening here at Crosswalk today. I made a little list. Crosswalk giving, compassion's efforts, tens of thousands of dollars given out in the history of Crosswalk Church over the, the past seven years. Tens of thousands of dollars giving out, given out to people who are hurting and needy in our community. Outreach to various parts of the world that you are supporting through your, your gifts. As far away as Africa and Thailand, as close as Pastor Dan, who's come here several times from the Apache Reservation, to the efforts right here in our own community to share the gospel as you invite your friends and your neighbors to come to Crosswalk. Sometimes when we need things, we put a, a need up there. Some of the recent ones where people have just come forward and said, I'll help with that. We had a donation of an iPad for, uh, for our trunk or treat, and, and someone just said, I'll give that. When we baptize children, we give away a little uh, Bible storybook so that parents can raise their children to know Jesus. That's a gift from one of our crosswalk people who just says, I want to do that. I want to see those kids get that Bible storybook. Talk about generosity. Serving meals at the homeless shelter. We've done that dozens of times. Walking the streets to invite people to church. We, got, we have a group of people that, that does that before every big day, Easter and Christmas and fall kickoff. You got five, ten people just walking the streets of Levine, knocking on doors, saying, why don't you come meet Jesus at Crosswalk Church? Meals for those who are sick. I saw, uh, I think, two or three emails just this week. This person is sick, can we deliver meals? And people stepping up and saying, yeah, I'll provide a meal. 30 volunteer hours, did I mention those at the Levine Barbecue? And we were talking about that in the staff meeting on Tuesday. Did anybody wring their hands and listen to the whiny voice and go, oh, I don't think we'll get 30, 30 people to volunteer for the Levine Barbecue? No, we didn't say that at all. Because we know what Jesus has done in your hearts. We know that you are a group of people that are committed not to listening to the whiny voice of the old Adam and saying, are you sure? Is it safe? Will I be okay? You're committed to listening to the voice of the new man, spirit in form that says, man, God's love overflows in my heart. I'm going to close with this story real quick. Someone sent me an article this last week. You know how I love football. You know how Tim Tebow is kind of my man. I love, talk about generous, right? Here's a guy that just is so generous in talking about Jesus. And I love that about him, that he boldly confesses Jesus all the time. And this story from ESPN, one of my favorite sports writers is a guy named Rick Riley. And he wrote an article that says, Why I Believe in Tim Tebow. And his conclusion was, not because of how he plays on the football field, he's like, no. <laughs> he's still got a lot of learning to do for the football field. Here's why I believe in Tim Tebow. 
Have you heard about what he does? Every game, nationwide, home or away, he picks a family that's hurting. One family recently, I think the person had had 50-plus surgeries, 50-plus. And he flies them in to the game, wherever they're playing, in Denver or somewhere else. He puts that person and their entire family up in a hotel, pays for all their meals, arranges to have them taken uh, to the, the, the stadium early, gets them tickets on the 30-yard line down low, pricey tickets, meets with them before the game to say, hi, how you doing? Glad you're here. Goes and plays the game, does the NFL-mandated interview on TV, and as soon as he's done with that interview, where does he go, win or lose, whether his game's been a disaster or a major miracle, he goes back and he sits down with those those families, and visits with them for an hour or more before he says, let's walk out to our cars together. Now, you know what people say about that? He's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. Shouldn't he be focusing on being a a better quarterback? or, Or why is he giving all that money away? Why is he being so generous with his time, talents, treasures, and energy? And you know what Tim Tebow says? It's all just a gift that God gave me. It all came from him. I don't own my time, my talents, my treasures, or my energy. God owns them. And God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus for me. My God is a giver. And I want to be just like him. I want to be a generous giver too. And I pray that through this series overflow, that's exactly the conclusion that you've come to. That you want people to look at you and go, that person, (laughs) they're nuts. They're crazy. They're out of their mind to be that generous. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, thank you so much for bringing us to your word today, for confronting us uh, over that whiny old Adam that likes to sing songs and and listen to the slithering serpent. And Lord, help us to be single-minded. You've taught us that generosity is really about single-mindedness and push away the whiny voice, repent over the whiny voice, do what Luther says to do with the old Adam, daily drown him, not listen to him. And Lord, We thank you for your forgiveness, for all the times when we have not been generous, for all the times when we've been hoarders and wanted to keep our time, talents, treasures, and energy to ourselves. Lord, help us to just always, through your Spirit's power, listen to our new man and focus on your generosity and your love for us. And fill us up with that generosity and love. Help us to overflow with all your blessings so that those around us can experience your blessings through us and also so that we can return to you some of those blessings as we worship you. And Lord, we lift up all these prayers in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.